Amen. Cindy, thank you. That's one of my favorites. I choose Christ. I love that song. Thank you for singing. In fact, that's number one for me. That's number three for y'all, but I, I love it. If you have your Bibles this morning, be finding the book of Ezra. That's between Chronicles and Nehemiah. We've been in Nehemiah now for several weeks as we've talked about uh, continuing our legacies. We've talked about our building program as we've talked about uh, moving toward that time where you will make a financial commitment uh, to help see that to come to pass. And the principles in Nehemiah are, are wonderful principles with regard to building. And so you might wonder, why in the world am I deviating out of Nehemiah this morning and going back to Ezra? Well, because I'm the interim pastor and that's what I wanted to do. No, no, that's, that's not... That's, that's not right. Did you know that at one time, Ezra and Nehemiah were one book? And down through the years, uh, the conservative scholars that looked at it decided to divide it, but at one time, it was one book. In fact, many scholars believe Ezra wrote Chronicles as well as Ezra and Nehemiah, that he was the scribe behind all of that. He's the preacher. Nehemiah was the layman. And, and it's interesting, whether that's true or not, it's interesting when you get to the book of Ezra, the first six chapters are written in third person. The last four chapters are written in first person. And if you notice, the first chapters, he's observing something and talking about it. In the last four chapters, he's involved in it, and he's speaking about it. So whether all of that's true or not, it sure kind of puts in your perspective uh, who we're talking about, where we're talking about. And where we're going to end up this morning is the text that I want to start out with, and then we're going to kind of work around and come back to where we start off, okay? Ezra chapter 3 and verse 12. The title of the message is Ezra the Foundation Builder. And when we get to the end, I'll have, uh, hopefully, uh, something to say about that. Ezra chapter 3 and verse 12. It's page 623, if that helps you any, uh, finding it. Verse 12. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers, and listen to this phraseology. It's very interesting. Who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house, the second house, was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy. We're talking here about Ezra, the foundation builder. The word Ezra means Jehovah helps. And he is a marvelous writer. Now, he's the preacher in this whole story, this saga that's going from Chronicles all the way through Nehemiah, he's the preacher. Nehemiah is the layman. Ezra is the one who's in touch with God. Nehemiah is the one who's in touch with people. Now, both were in touch with people, but one had a job of doing one thing and another had a job of doing something else. It's interesting that when there's conflict, you see Ezra fasting and praying, Nehemiah Acts, if you remember when Sanballat the Horonite and Geshem and Tobiah and all that crowd uh, clouded up after uh, Nehemiah, Nehemiah took them on. 
I mean, he talked back to him. He said, I don't care what you think. You're not going to come down here and whip us. I mean, I, that's, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. You don't see that in Ezra. Ezra was much more subtle with what he did. He was, he was much more uh, placid with what he did. Nehemiah was a man of action. Uh, Ezra was a man of studious prayer and, and thought. And God used both of them. And one of the things that's interesting is no matter who the person is, some of the principles involved in building are the very same principles. Whether you're in the book of Ezra or you're in the book of Nehemiah or whether you're in your book today, many of the things, the practices and principles in the Bible are transportable to how we live our life today. This is not just a book of history. It's a book that outlines how we're to live our life and gives us some suggestions of how to do certain things. We saw that in the book of Nehemiah, and I hope you'll, if you have forgotten it, you'll get one of those CDs that talks about how to plan a building program. I'm not talking about just a building, the church building. I'm talking about building a life, building a business, building a family. There's, there's principles involved, and we see the same thing here in the book of Ezra. Well, let me just mention to you some things that I extracted out of my study and see if these don't overlay what we saw in the book of Nehemiah. If you're going to have a foundation builder, number one, you have to have leadership. Leadership. There must be a leader. I've told you before, and I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you several more times before I leave. Any organization, it depends on the leader. I don't care what organization is, the leader is the key. And listen to me, a leader needs to lead. One of the problems I see in so much of what I see in society where I walk, where I play, what I do, is the fact we have leaders who don't lead. They're at the point of the spear. They're the one who's supposed to lead, but they don't lead. They, they want to form a committee and study it. Now, there's a proper time and place for that. But at some points, you have to either fish or cut bait. I mean, you got to get on with the job. And so after you get a word from the Lord, then if you're the leader, lead. I used to teach some at our New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary at the Orlando site, and I would be talking to some of the young pastors, and, and I would remind them that in any organization, if an organization is not functioning correctly and you're the leader, the buck stops with you. And, and listen, any organization has to have the point of the spear, has to have the leader. Any organization that has no head is dead. And any organization that has two heads is a freak. You have to have a leader. You have to have a head. You have to have a point. Look in the Bible. All the way through the Bible, God uses a leader. And he's still using leaders today. That's why we're spending so much time finding the right leader for this church. Because you need to be led. And this is an opportune time. And bless God, we're going to have a pastor, teacher, leader who's going to lead. Uh, leadership is so vitally important today. A leader has to know that he is the leader and he has to lead. I, again, I tell these young preacher boys over here, uh, I said, you're the leader? Yes, sir, I'm the leader. I said, well, look over your shoulder. If nobody's following you, you're taking a walk. If you're a leader, you have to look back. Are they with you? 
If they're not with you, you've not explained the project. If they're not with you, they're confused or they're against it. You better find out what you're doing. Baptists vote with their hand, but they also vote with a pocketbook. Amen. And so you have to know you're the leader and you have to know who it is that you're leading. In, in fact, let's look ahead a little bit here and let me show you something about Ezra and his leadership. There's some things Ezra knew that helped him be the effective leader that he was. Number one, Ezra saw clearly the situation and he saw the sin of the people. Look at, if you will, in Ezra chapter 9 and verse 6. Now we're going to come back. We're going to come back to chapter 3, but just flip over to, just humor me. Let's go to chapter 9. And verse 6. Well, let's back up to verse 5. Let's get all of it. Ezra chapter 9 and verse 5. At the evening sacrifice, I, notice first person, I arose upon my heaviness, and having rent my garments and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God. And I said, O my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee. My God, for our iniquities are increased over our head and our trespass is grown up unto the heavens. Ezra saw the sin of the people. Ezra knew that religion without repentance is repugnant to God. Let me say that again. Religion without repentance is repugnant to God. If whatever you believe has not incorporated within it repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ, it is a false religion. And there are many false religions today on this planet. What did Ezra do? Number one, he repented of his own sin. And then he asked God to forgive the people's sin. Ezra saw the sin of the people. But Ezra also saw the slackness of the people. Look again, if you will, in chapter 8. Ezra chapter 8 and verse 21. Ezra says, Then I, first person, proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might afflict ourselves before our God, to seek of him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance. Uh, here he, he's, he's speaking of the fact that the people were not doing anything. They were sitting, twiddling their spiritual fingers, not doing anything. And he was not like some of the young preachers today that I see that think their job is to come here and cheer you up and tell you sin's not sin and to tell you just to get along in life and love everybody and love your grandmother and you're going to do okay. That's not the job of a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's to preach the gospel and all that accompanies the gospel. And part of that is to say you are a sinner by nature, practice, choice, and habit, and you need forgiveness. And the only forgiveness that will bring true peace in life is forgiveness of God through his one and only son, Jesus Christ. I'm not here to cheer you up. I'm not here to pat you on the back and tell you to feel better. I'm here to ask you to get right with God. And what Ezra knew was, number one, the people were sinners. And number two, the people had slacked up. They had not done their best 
for the master. But he also knew something else. He saw their sin. He saw their slackness. But bless God, he saw their strength. And this is where a great leader, understanding the whole picture, understands. Look at Ezra chapter 8, verse 22. For I was ashamed to require of a king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way. Why was he ashamed? Because he had spoken unto the king and told the king, the hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him. But his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. So we fasted and besought our God for this, and he was entreated toward us. He was, he was earnestly pleading toward us. Uh, he, he, he saw the sin of the people. He saw the slackness of the people. But he also knew the strength of the people was for, through God. And he said, I'm embarrassed to go ask somebody else to help us when our God is good upon us. And our God has been merciful to us. And our God is going to see us through this. And our God is going to take care of us. Just in the short time I've been here, we voted twice on this building program, 90% and above, 90%. In Baptist terms, that's over 4,000% positive in Baptist life. Amen. If you get 51%, praise God, victory. No, no, 90%. And we voted 90% because God has led us, God has blessed us, God has guided us, God has directed us, and bless God, God's going to pay for it. And it's going to just float down out of heaven. Next Sunday when we're in the ocean center, we'll look up and just dollar bills start falling down out of the ceiling. You got any more funny stories you want to tell interim pastor? No. God's going. Now, God could do it that way. God could just have some benevolent person somewhere send us $15 million. That's no big deal for God. Be the worst thing ever happened to this church. You see, we need to do it. We don't need an army from somewhere else to come help us. We need to do it. Our God through us is going to do it. And when God through us does it, guess what? We get the blessing. We get the blessing. Listen, you know, really, this church's budget's what, two and a half million dollars? Two million dollars for next year? Two million dollars? We could borrow two million dollars. We just borrowed four, five, six, eight, ten. I mean, we, we, that's no big deal. Let's just borrow two million dollars and y'all don't give a cent next year. It'd ruin you. It'd absolutely ruin you. What you'd do with that money without giving it to God would ruin you, and it'd also ruin the church. You know, some of the churches, the great churches and the great denominations of the past are going under today with money in the bank because they're endowed. They have money endowing the church. So there's no effort to reach anybody. There's no effort to talk about sacrifice and giving. There's no, there's no reason to go out. We got all the money we need. And these great, great churches of the past, many of them are in downtown areas, are closing their door because there's nobody there. And they got money in the bank. Money's not how you gauge a church's success. 
How do you gauge a church's success? Change lives. That's the bottom line in a church. It's not how much money we cleared this last year. It's not revenue over expense. It's how many lives were affected and infected with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how a church has a profit and loss statement. We invest so that God can use, so that God can reinvest, so that we can reinvest, so that we can reinvest. Somebody told me the other day, I'm so sad we're selling the church. All of this that we've spent money on is, is wasted. What? What? Listen, if we didn't get a cent for this church, not a dollar has been wasted. We've invested in the lives of people all over this country. Lives have been changed because of this church. But even after that, God's going to let us get $2 million out of it to reinvest somewhere else. You wouldn't think you would have to explain this. God is so good to us to let us be involved in it. Oh. I know we've had a lot of meetings and a lot of votes and a lot of stuff, but oh, the joy of serving the Lord, the joy of being involved. Now, we've gone back and seen what Ezra was dealing with as a leader and how he dealt with the people that he was leading, but let's go back to chapter 3. Let's see some of those ingredients that are right here before us in Ezra that we have also seen in the book of Nehemiah. Number one, not only a leadership that was obedience to God's word. Chapter 2, the last part of verse 2, it says, They builded an altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings their own, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Verse 2. Verse 1 says that they gathered the people together. The first thing they did was worship. They didn't start building till they worshiped. They were obedient to God. They were not afraid to start with God. Now, folks, when you get to verse 2, between verse 2 and verse 5, or verse 6, you know the last time they'd done this? Seventy years before. Can you imagine the leader saying, all right, let's get all the people together and let's do something we haven't done in 70 years What? We need to get on with the program. Well, we're going to have worship first. I'm sure somebody in the congregation said the seven last words of the church. Seventy years. We've never done it that way before. No. That's why you've been dead for 70 years. The first thing the leader did was get them to worship. <laughs> we want to run out and get it done. I had a, a pastor, wise, wise pastor early in my ministry, told me something I've never forgotten. He said, son, before you stand and conquer, you sit and count the cost. Before you stand up here and announce what we're going to do, you better sit and know what it's going to cost you. To do it. And I'm not talking about dollars and cents. I'm talking about cost. The cost of getting something done. Ezra was a man, he was a leader. 
uh, Ezra saw the people and saw them for where they were, for the good, the bad, and the ugly. But he was obedient to God's word. But he also faced opposition. Look, at, if you will, in verse 3. The Bible says, And they set the altar upon his base, for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries. Ezra had opposition. Yes, he did. Did Nehemiah have opposition? Yes, he did. Will we have opposition at some point? Yes, we will. Don't be taken back by it. We're a once saved people, a once born people in a world. Uh, we're a twice born people in a world of once born people, and you're going to have opposition. It's like going upstream. You're going to be against the tide. And so opposition happened here, opposition happened there, opposition happens everywhere when you are doing the work of God. Now, we've been so blessed, so blessed by so many things falling into place, and I'm going to tell you in a moment why that's such. But don't expect it to go without any opposition. Sooner or later, some of it will show up. Not only was there courage in the face of opposition, there was offerings and funding uh, look at verse 4. And they kept also the Feast of the Tabernacles as is written and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the custom as the duty of every day required and afterwards offered the continual burnt offerings both of the new moons and of all the set feast of the Lord that were consecrated. Now look at the last part of verse, verse 5. And of every one that willingly offered a free will offering unto the Lord. Notice the language, willingly offered a free will offering. That's what we've been talking about for the last several months. For you to pray about what you would willingly do. Nobody's twisting your arm. There's not been a quota set for you to give. Nobody has put a guilt trip on you about what you're going to give or not going to give. It's a free will gift. It's a free will offering. But notice it's given after they worshiped. They worshiped, and then they gave. You read the Old Testament, it is unthinkable for an Old Testament Jew to go to worship without giving. Unthinkable. That's what we're asking you to do. Pray, ask God, what will you have me to do? And then you give it not of restraint, but because you want to, because God leads you to. You give with an open hand, not a closed hand. You give, and God blesses. So there was division of labor. We also see this is in verses 8 and 9. I won't read all of it, but if you read verses 8 and 9, you'll see it reads almost like the second chapter of the book of Nehemiah. They divided the labor up. They divided it up. And that's what we've said here. It's not equal giving. It's equal sacrifice. It's everybody doing their part, whatever that might be. There may be some that can give a lot, do a lot, pray a lot, go a lot. There may be others who can't do as much. And for one, sacrifice may be this amount, and another one, that same amount might be a tip. So what we're asking is everybody to... Ask God, what would you have me to give? What would you have me to do in this? 
and the, the division of labor was a division of people getting their hands dirty, but it also meant people being involved. And that's exactly what we're asking of you. What was the result? Look, if you will, in verses 11 and following. And they sang together by, uh, by course and praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he is good, for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Now, this is the second temple. First temple's been destroyed. This is the foundation of the second temple that Israel is building. Verse 12, the verse that we started with. But many of the priests and the Levites and the chief of the fathers who were ancient men, that means old geezers in the Hebrew, ancient men, old geezers. It means men who had been around to see the first temple. They were still alive, and now they're seeing the foundation for the second temple. When they saw this house was laid before, uh, the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, they wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy. They had a glory hallelujah time because all of a sudden that which had been torn down, they see the foundation of it being built. And Ezra is the foundation builder. Why did I call this message Ezra the foundation builder? Well, because of that verse. But not really. Why did I call him the foundation builder? Because of the wall. Wait, Brother Orange, bless your heart. I know you've had a busy morning. You're a little confused. Ezra built the foundation of the temple. Nehemiah built the wall. No, Ezra had a part in building the wall. Brother Owens, you're a chapter off. No. Keep reading over in Nehemiah. and We touched on it the other day. When they get ready to dedicate the wall, guess who's there? Ezra. I told you last week that it's interesting how we in the world and how God in his kingdom defines success. You see, some folks would read this because Ezra got stopped from doing what he wanted to do. Nehemiah is over here. He gets all the glory. Ezra got stopped by Artaxerxes, who's the same one who helps Nehemiah. That's a whole other story. But some would say Ezra's an absolute failure because he didn't get the job done. No. God doesn't view success or failure based on whether you get the job done or not. Because there's time God in his sovereignty will stop it himself. Moses, David. Uh, there's several examples of where people, God stopped them from going into the promised land, building the temple. God stopped it. So they must be failures. They didn't get it done. Ezra must be a failure. He didn't get it done. Bobby Welch must be a failure. He didn't get it done. No. In God's economy, success is obedience. 
And God takes care of the timing. Why am I saying this this way today? Because when you get to chapter 2 of Nehemiah, well, let me just show you. When you get to chapter 2 of Nehemiah, Verse 17, Nehemiah says, Then said I, Nehemiah, unto them, You see the distress that we're in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also unto the king's words that he had spoken unto me. Now listen to this. And they said, let us rise up and build. Why in Nehemiah 2 do the people say, let us rise up and build? Because the foundation had been laid in Ezra chapter 3. He put the foundation down. The people waited a while. And all of a sudden, when the opportune time came along, they said, let us rise up and build. The votes that you've taken in this church over this last few months is an affirmation of decisions that were made 17 years ago. Can I get an amen from anybody? Is there anybody out there listening? Next Sunday at the luncheon, we're going to hear from Dr. Welch. I want you to do something for me. When you see him, call him Ezra. You and I will be in on it. He won't know what in the world's going on. He's our Ezra. He's the foundation building. And because of the foundation that godly man put down, in a few months you're going to see walls go up. Amen? Amen. Nehemiah may get the praise, but the foundation was Ezra's. He put the foundation, just of the temple, yeah, yeah, but he put the foundation in the people. So when Nehemiah came by and said, let us, the people said, we're ready. We're ready. Folks, we're ready. If you haven't made reservations for next Sunday, you need to do it today. We're going to have a wonderful, wonderful time next Sunday. You don't want to miss next Sunday. Of course, you don't want to miss any Sunday, but next Sunday, don't miss next Sunday. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're amazed sometimes at your word how it rightly fits together for our life. Here's something happening centuries ago in a faraway land, and it's practical and very personal to us at Daytona Beach, Florida. Thank you. 
as we live our life, we need these stories. Not just stories that are made up, but stories of history that you've intervened into. And you're the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And because of what you did then, we have the promise you can do it again today. And you are doing it. Lord, this is an encouragement to us. Because there are times we get a little fearful. We get a little anxious when we step out of our comfort zone, when we leave one place to go somewhere else. We're accustomed to to here. We're comfortable here. We don't know about there. But Lord, help us to understand you're God here and you'll be God there. And if we're following you, you're activated to see things happen that we can only dream about and pray about and think about. So, Lord, as we move toward this week and move toward a wonderful, wonderful time of challenge and commitment next Sunday, I thank you that your spirit has been leading and will lead us. May the church have a good time next Sunday as we celebrate all that you're doing. This morning we would celebrate if there's somebody here who has never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of life through a simple act of turning from sin and by faith trusting Christ who offers forgiveness for sin. A person is radically changed. The old life is done away with and they're raised into new life. They're given a hope and a help in your spirit as he moves in to give us definition to life and counsel for life and support for life and help for life. Maybe there are others here today who need to come and unite with this church by letter or statement or any other way she would receive members. What a glorious time to be a part of this church. To be on the ground floor of seeing what God's going to do and to invest in what God is doing. Maybe the others here today that need to come and just kneel at this altar as a sign of submission and humbleness. Maybe they're going through a difficult time. Maybe they're praying for someone. Maybe they just need to come and feel themselves kneel before you in front of God's people and say, I need help. Maybe there's somebody here today who needs to surrender to full-time Christian service to go into vocational ministry. God's calling them to be more than just a, a fine layman, but to go into ministry vocationally, whatever that might mean. Lord, as we patiently listen to your spirit, I pray your spirit would have the freedom to speak to our hearts and that we would respond by faith. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for the blessings you've given us. And thank you for the bright promises of tomorrow. And Lord, as we talk about your amazing grace, I pray during this time the chains will literally drop off. Those chains that hinder us from being all that you want us to be, including the preacher. Lord, I pray you'd forgive us. And I pray that we'd be who you want us to be. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.